You know, every time I speak, I want the truth to come out. You know what I'm saying? Every time I speak, I want to shiver. You know, I don't want them to be like, they know what I'm going to say because it's polite. They know what I'm going to say. And even if I get in trouble, you know what I'm saying? That Ain't that what we're supposed to do? It's, I'm not saying I'm going to rule the world or I'm going to change the world, but I guarantee that I will spark the, the, the brain that will change the world. Truth Seekers, please understand, Mental Dialogue is much more than just a talk show. Each and every Saturday, we communicate with you for two reasons, to dialogue and connect. On the dialogue side, we cater to you intellectual outcasts who feel you have no place for honest discourse on race, sex, culture, and African-American business. On the connect side, we've created a community where you can connect with experts specifically in finance, whether personal or business, and mental health, whether it's trauma or to optimize performance along with all the other skill sets from other MD community members. Our mission was to create a virtual nationwide neighborhood where African-Americans learn to trade ideas, goods, and services through social media, meetups, and this podcast. To become a neighbor of the Mental Dialogue Community Club, please visit us at mentaldialogue.com. We are better with you than we are without you. We can be neighbors even though we don't live next to each other. Hashtag raise the culture. I am your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, and welcome to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. We are the return of intelligent radio as we ensure the free flow of opinions and push the envelope on the questions America's afraid to ask in the mainstream media. Good morning to all you intellectual outcasts, as I now call all of our listeners. Uh, we highlighting a different start this morning. I wanted people to truly understand what we are here for. I always highlight that what we do best is dialogue and connect. And so the idea is not just to have conversations each and seven, each Saturday morning in which all we do is dialogue, but I actually want to connect you so that y'all will eventually do business with each other. And that is the concept of the Mental Dialogue Community Club. And we want to highlight our, if you will, um, what we ultimately do. Go over to mentaldialogue.com and become a part of what, we do. Again, I am your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, and each Saturday we take the Socratic method on any of these conversations on race, sex, and culture. I ultimately consider uh, ourselves the best in the world at doing these hard conversations. And so, again, just really wanted to lay out why you are coming here each and every Saturday. And if you like what we're doing, make sure you are sharing the link with others. We definitely need to spread the word on our efforts and what we're doing here. I have a um, couple of special guests that I'm looking to get on the show um, this morning. And so um, one of them will be here a little later, still trying to get the other guest on. But in the meantime, I'll go ahead and let the cat out the bag on this morning's discussion question, because, again, we want to ask the right questions to get to the correct answers, if you will. Um, looks like... Um, well, let, me see, let me check on this caller here. This may be one of our guests, maybe calling in from a different number. Let me check this real quick. Area code 408. I see you trying to jump in earlier. Uh, what's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, my name is Craig, and I'm calling from California, West Coast. Oh, love it, brother. Okay, yeah, we'll get you in here early. I'm actually trying to get a couple of guests in. I do everybody by phone number, so I just wanted to make sure you wasn't one of our guests. We'll definitely get you back in and get you on this discussion question, if you will. But thanks for calling in, brother. You'll be, you will be our first caller, if you will. But thanks for calling in. Okay, for sure, for sure. All right, no problem. All right, so to let the cat out the bag on this morning's discussion question while I wait my guest, is assimilation, is it all bad? 
Assimilation all bad? This is a very interesting question and something that um, I think African Americans and other minorities in this country, in a sense, um, tend to deal with, especially maybe even immigrants coming to this country or if you, um, whatever you, you consider your culture background, if it's in a sense not the quote-unquote majority culture, if you will, um, there's this concept of assimilating into American culture. And so, again, this morning's discussion question is assimilation, is it all bad? Uh, typically with my guests, I would ask them what was their first th- thoughts in hearing the question. And so um, I'll give you my first thoughts in coming up with the question, if you will. And there's a little history on why I wanted to delve into this question, if you will. And it's basically um, knowing that specifically in the African-American community, assimilation is in itself typically is seen as a, a bad thing. Some assimilating into American culture, especially with uh, the African-American experience here in America, is seen as a bad thing. Um, I know when I started the Mental Dialogue Community Club, if you have fortunate enough to have picked up my book, Re-Education of the Negro, I highlighted the start of the Mental Dialogue Community Club was a piece that I wrote in which I questioned how immigrants and specifically African immigrants, if you will, coming to this country, how they, in a sense, seen America as the land of milk and honey as it is advertised throughout the world. And quite often when I would run into my um, friends that I've met met and gotten to know over the years uh, from the continent, if you will, uh, that was typically the perspective, not everyone's perspective, but typically the perspective I would see. And I thought to myself, that growing up in America, born and raised here, that wasn't always how, if you will, how I personally saw America, nor did a lot of my other African-American friends see America. And so I wrote a piece saying, hey, why do they see it this way and we don't? Ultimately, um, we always highlight historically America was built off the, our ancestors' blacks, if you will, right, off their backs, right? And so it's like, wow, here's a country that, in a sense, we, in, in a sense, built. We want, if you will, take ownership of, even though we built it, and others come here and see it in, in, in a manner in which they want to achieve or reach these different opportunities. And quite often when I would look at, in a sense, other cultures, there was an aspect of assimilation that was expected to a degree while we as African-Americans in our own experience rejected the concept of assimilating. And so that's, in a sense, how I formulated this morning's discussion to say, is assimilation, is it all bad when I see, in a sense, some other cultures seem to use it, I would say, strategically and effectively in some sense. And it's not that it's... um, that all African-Americans are devoid or all African-Americans, we're not a monolith, think that assimilation is all necessarily bad. So I'm not saying that we all do, but there is, there's definitely a context in which I grew up as a young man not wanting to, if you will, sell out or be an Oreo because it was frowned upon in a major, major way, and that was considered assimilation. And so I uh, got my brother Frank in here. I want to get him introduced before we go to the first break. We got a caller that wants to get in. So just to kind of set up where we're going, I'm going to introduce one of our guests. We got another guest coming on later. Uh, we'll get him introduced. 
get into the first break, and then we'll start opening up the phone line for the callers that we see out there. Thank you, Brother Frank, for getting on here with us. <laughs> You've been a guest before, so if you will, King, say hello to the intellectual outcasts out there listening. Definitely give um, some of your background as it relates to this morning's discussion because I thought you were a perfect guest to bring on. So if you can just kind of highlight um, your background, um, I'll highlight that you originally are from Gun- um, Ghana, if you will, um, but you've been here in the States, and we've had some interesting conversations along this line. So thank you for being with us, King. Um, introduce yourself. Give me your background. We're going to go to commercial and get this conversation started. Oh, thank you very much. Um, my name is Frank Santi. I'm from Ghana originally. Um lived in the United States for about 30 years. Um, you know, as an African, we migrated to the, to the U.S., Obviously, um, I had to assimilate to the American culture and uh, definitely have some experiences, that personal experiences that I would like to share uh, in this conversation. So, yeah, uh, thanks for having me, and I look forward to engaging with everyone. Thank you. No, absolutely. Again, um, perfect guest, in my opinion, uh, for someone who's had to, in a sense, progress, transgress that or if you want to um, that those waters, if you will, figuring it out um, and coming here and saying, how do I figure out how to fit into this culture? So, Frank, thank you so much for being with us. Let's go to this first break, and we'll get hot and heavy into this discussion, and we'll open up the phone lines. So I got a brother out of California looking to get in on this conversation with us as well. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. What happens when your customers call your business and you're too busy to answer or call them back in a timely manner? You lose that business. Shockingly, 61% of inbound calls go unanswered. But fear not, tchmedia.ai is here to change the game. We specialize in capturing, nurturing, and converting your prospects into loyal customers. With our state-of-the-art communication solutions, no interaction will be left behind. When you miss a call, we've got you covered with automatic, engaging texts that keep your prospects connected and eager to choose you over your competitors. Don't let potential customers slip away. Make the smart choice with tchmedia.ai and skyrocket your conversions today. tchmedia.ai is here to change the game. Change the game. Change the game. Change the game. I am the beneficiary of an attachment to a culture that took root in this country over a period of 400 years, a proud, independent culture. There is a cuisine, there is a dress, there is a swagger, there's a whole culture, all right, of which I am an act, in which I am an active participant. I'm born into it. For that reason, the whole idea of assimilating into America makes no sense. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. Again, I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. This morning's discussion question, assimilation, is it all bad? Special guest, Frank Asante, um, as we hear, brother by the name of Dr. Sherman Jackson, highlighting, in a sense, the very distinctive culture that we as African-Americans or black people, if you will, have been able to create, if you will, in our black American experience, our own identity of culture, if you will. And from his perspective, it said it makes no sense to assimilate. And Brother Frank, um, 
that wasn't your perspective coming here. And I highlighted this right before you got on that kind of I started the Mental Dialogue Community Club specifically. I don't, I don't know if I don't think you heard this. So I want to just kind of highlight this and let you jump in. But I started the Mental Dialogue Community Club almost off the perspective of people like yourself immigrating to America, Africa specifically, and how y'all saw the country versus how we as at this point, natives of the country, if you will, black people did not see it that way. And so you hear an example of one brother saying it makes no sense to assimilate when you come to a new, new country. That's part of what you have to do, regardless of what your perspective may have been. So um, if you will, brother, just kind of jump in from your perspective. But right now, I'm just highlighting that typically as African-Americans, we quite often see it as a bad thing, similar to what you just heard that brother say. Your thoughts, King? Uh, and this is for me, right, Frank? Yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, yeah, you're, yeah. I got Yeah, you're the only guy. All right, right. all right. Hey, yeah. man, uh-huh. thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, first of all, this is how I'm going to start it, uh, just to kind of you know uh, leave it open for you know the whole discussion. As an African in America, um, I would say that the uh, the concept of assimilation in America is subjective, and you know opinions may vary. Uh, some you know, may argue that assimilation helps build a unified society, also fostering uh, you know, a shared culture and value, and others may also see it as potentially erasing diverse cultural identity. And also some perspectives often depend on the individual beliefs and values. I would say my perspective uh, would solely depend on my experience. You know, as an African who migrated to America for uh, opportunity, right? Education and, you know, opportunity in general, and for what I have been able to accomplish if it wasn't for America, uh, as far as, you know, being able to get uh, my education, being able to uh, be able to do what I've been able to uh, accomplish, to even be able to give back home to uh, to my homeland Ghana, I would say that, from my experience, um, is a great thing. Um, but again, you know, I think uh, when we had this brief conversation about this uh, topic, uh, something's got to give. Obviously, um, I have to um, adapt to you know the way things are being done over here, and in that sense may have to give up some of my cultural practices, you know, but I think that uh, it's giving me, uh, it's really shaped me into a better person uh, considering the pros and cons of, you know, the, 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 the positives and the negatives of America and also the positives and the negatives of Africa. I'm, uh, I'm a lifetime student always learning, so uh, to say that uh, it's completely um, a bad thing, I would disagree. I would say that um, it has its uh, advantages and disadvantages, but it, it all boils down to the individual value, beliefs, and also experience. So I'll leave it at that for now as we, we, we dive more into it. No, absolutely. That's great context, brother. And so um, definitely respect um, your perspective, if you will. Uh, let me get the out of California on this thing. I, 
Um, say your name again. We got four eight nine six eight. We're gonna bring you live back on the air. Um, thank you for jumping in on this conversation early. Um, I know you're out of Cali. Say your name again, and if you will, give us your three cents, or if you have a question, whatever the case may, case may be, glad to get you in on the conversation. Yeah, yeah. My name is Craig, and yes, I'm calling from California. Yeah, thank you for having me today. Um, just calling in to see see if I could bring some light to this to the situation. You know what I mean? Because there's a lot of darkness in this world. You know, where people don't have that that upstairs, you know, where they can see things clearly because they're distracted by all these distractions. And when you're distracted, most likely people are going to feed those distractions rather than their intentions. So they need to get back to what's important to them. So we're going to shed some light to get people back on track, right? Yeah, fair enough. Right. Yeah. Right. Did you want to did you want to continue so, to add something to the conversation at this point, or you want to jump in later? I'm just checking. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I'm, I'm 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 just gonna I'm just gonna jump in on the same on the same on the same note that you guys are talking about. You know, like the benefits of coming to America from somewhere else. Everyone that I've ever met that came from somewhere else doesn't matter what color their skin is. They came from somewhere else and they come to America and they bring flavor. They add flavor to everything because. They bring their culture with them, and and everybody has to kind of like some melting pot, if you will, of different uh, backgrounds and different attitudes about things. You ask somebody if somebody comes over here, they're going to get an opportunity to build themselves up. You know, they can take um, an opportunity in their mind. They have opportunities that come in all the time, and they go out all the time. They're just coming in and out opportunities, and so. With your mind, you can grab hold of an opportunity, whether it be health, wealth, or whatever you want, and you can bring it into yourself. And with your heart, you can put love behind it and make it become a reality in the world that you're living in so you can bring something to the table that's going to benefit everybody as a whole. If you're unable to see past what somebody's thinking, saying, and doing, then you're looking at an ego, a false sense of self. And if you're going to conduct your life on that, then you need some real help. And I'm here to help those people too as well. So let me jump in with you if you don't mind, Craig. Let me ask you this question. Yeah. Um, again, I see you highlighting you know, someone similar to Frank who's immigrated here or whatever. Um, but it's quite common, just if I could highlight this, it's quite common that um, that – Immigrants in general, not always the case, nothing is absolute, and to Frank's point earlier, um, nothing's to the extreme, if you will, um, but it's quite prominent that immigrants will, in a sense, generally surpass natives of any country, even when black Americans, if you will, move to other countries, they'll do well. So I'm, I'm, I'm jumping into this in particular because I hear your perspective on somebody coming here and bringing their flavor. Um, what are your mm. thoughts about um, someone who has a cultural difference within the country who um, is having to figure out is, is assimilating into the larger group a smart thing for them because they don't always feel that way, nor are they having the results of, if you will, an immigrant coming here. So just a quick thought on someone that's already here of a different culture. Um, just what's your perspective on is it good or bad to assimilate? If you could just kind of get to that, and I'll, i i got to get some other, some other callers as well, but I just wanted to hear your yeah. thoughts on that real quick. Yeah. Um, as far as as far as is it for me to ask? Answer? Yeah, I'm just give you a little, a shot at just answering for somebody here. I heard you talk about immigrants, how it could be for them. Yeah. I just wanted to hear a quick thought on for someone yeah. who's well, actually a native and that's a but but have a different cultural background than the majority culture. I just wanted to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, very, right. Very yeah. quickly. 
they, people, people come here and they have their own idea what they're going to do when they come here. They come here with a plan. You know, they usually have a plan to come here and to execute something, right? When they, when they come over here, they don't just come over here and just say, I'm just going to wiggle my nose. I'm going to show up in, uh, in, in America and then I'm going to figure out what I'm, I'm going to think about it. They, no, they have dreams of coming here to have a plan to do something. So everybody has ideas of how it's going to go. But when you get here, it's a different story when you're, when you're actually doing it right now. And right no, now is like, huh? No, I definitely respect that, brother. I, yeah, like I said, I just wanted to, I got some other callers. I wanted to, again, just kind of get, get your perspective on people that are already here. Yeah, natives. So, and again, so, I respect that. But so let me be real. Take advantage got, of it and help, help out your fellow yeah. man. You know, the ones that, the ones no, that people it. that are in the same situation where you can identify, you can help them out and say, look, this is what's going on over here. You might want to avoid this because that's, that's, that's like part of the system. You know, there's a system here, but you don't have to do what they do. You can do what they say, but I mean, you can listen to them, and, but you don't have to do what they do is what I'm saying because you bring something. You're an individual yourself. You bring something to the table. Just don't forget that. Wow, that's a very, very important point. Thank you so much for your call. Um, appreciate you, brother. Let's get to some of the others. Call. Yeah. I got my guest coming on as well. So uh, let me get my other guest in here before I get to the other call. All right, let's, my brother Emil, Brian up in this thing. How you doing, King? Thank you for being with us this morning. Um, appreciate your, definitely going to appreciate your three cents. Anytime this brother calls in, it's, he, he gives us four cents. So sometimes I bring him to be a guest so we can make the show epic. So thank you, brother, uh, for being with us. Um, if you will, you have a unique background as it relates to this conversation as well. So if you will give some of your background and we'll continue this morning's discussion, assimilation isn't all bad. But thank you for being with us, King. Oh, thank you, brother. Uh, it's always good to be with you, man, and I appreciate it. Assimilation. Um, so the background, uh, you know, I grew up in Oregon, uh, Portland, Oregon, to be exact. So assimilation is something that I know very well uh, as I lived it, as well as uh, had to sort of navigate my way through it. And um, I hear loud and clear what assimilation means, but the problem that I think a lot of us have that I'm going to, hopefully we'll talk about it more in, in depth in the, in the, during the time, is what are we assimilating into? What is, the, what is the point of assimilation if the thing to which you assimilate, into which you assimilate, isn't healthy for you in the long run? And I think some of us haven't yet really discovered that the assimilation paradox has uh, a, a sort of a tainted goal. If you assimilate into America because you want to be wealthy or rich, that makes sense. But perhaps you have other priorities that are not as material, and therefore when you assimilate into a material culture, you may be assimilating into something that does not serve you as well as you want it to serve you. So assimilation can't just be yes or no. It has to be into what and for what reason. Now, that's deep. Appreciate you, brother. Let's jump to, I think this is my queen of intellect member, Ashley, jumping in on this conversation this morning. What you got for us, queen? Hey, y'all. Um, so I, I agree with I think we got a bad like connection, it. queen. We got a bad connection. Uh -oh. Call right back in so we can get you, get you, get you clear. Did you catch me? Yep, she's going to call right back in. Um, but, no, nah, that's a great point. Um, Emil, if you will, because I think that every every dialogue is on a spectrum, and I think to a degree that's what you're referring to. Like you said, what is the goal? What are you looking to accomplish? And there are aspects where, yeah, to your point, um, actually, let's get yep, to your point. 
that you have to consider that um, as far as how do you want to move individually if you if it is to if you will integrate into I would say the larger culture or like you say what are you in, what are you assimilating into? All right, we got Ashley back on, so let me get her three cents on this conversation this morning. Go ahead, Queen. Let's see if we got a better connection. Okay, um, so I was I was saying I agree with the previous guy. It's not just a yes or a no. Because a lot of what has happened for a lot of immigrants when they come over here, as it's been pointed out earlier in the call, is like their culture gets erased. I think that to a degree it is great because there's um, more opportunities, but when you look at racial tensions in this country, political things, and even just destroying communities, unless your culture is able to sustain or there's a strong standing here, there's going to be difficulties with assimilating. I mean, when you consider the Asian cultures and how they have maintained tight-knit communities and they, you know, they have specific areas in almost all major cities. There's a Chinatown, there's, you know, there are markets and all of those things. If you are able to come here and have that type of experience and your culture is important and that can be maintained, Assimilation is fantastic because there are still aspects of their lives that they have to assimilate to the American culture, but they're still able to maintain that. If your culture is not going to be able to be sustained and it's important to you, assimilation may not be the best thing for you. Not strong points. Um, Queen, um, let me throw this out to you because I hear you kind of navigate through it, and and I think what I hear you saying is – if you're able to, in a sense, maintain cultural and things that are culturally important value-wise, then there are aspects of assimilating where it's not going to harm you. I think Emil's kind of referring to that as, as well to a degree, at least how I'm hearing him. Um, when I think of us specifically as African-Americans, when when a lot of our community says it's a bad thing, I think some of that's coming from not having those cultural values embedded to a degree to where we do feel like we are losing ourselves. And so oh, it, it, so it just, it, it's, it's almost like a, a different perspective because I agree with you that if you have those, if you are coming here or you are, no, or, or another culture that has, has that baseline, then it's not even a problem. I think we worry about it because quite often we feel like we're without that baseline. Just wanted to hear your thoughts on that before. And I'm going to go to Frank and Mill um, after that. Just wanted to get a quick thought from you, but thank you for your call this morning, Queen. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I feel like you have to go to a, a city or a state that allows that to happen. Like that's not going to happen in Georgia, but in a New York or a Miami, you could definitely see that happening. Uh, and so I think that they to do the research and see where you might already have profound cultural depth in a community in order for you to survive that. Because if you're going to come someplace where they're not going to allow you or embrace different cultures genuinely and wholeheartedly, you're going to be fighting an uphill battle trying to get roots established for your culture in an area that does not want it. So I think that's where research and area really come into play as you consider coming over to the state. No, absolutely. Thank you for your three cents this morning, Queenie. You know how to get back in if you decide to jump off the one and come back on the one, but thank you for your three cents this morning. Thanks. 
Emil, I'm going to jump to you. Um, Portland, Oregon, we know historically the state legally didn't want any black people in it when it was first formed. And um, you're, you were born and raised in the one city where all the black people are. I'm kind of being a little facetious. <laughs> <laughs> Damn the truth when it comes to Oregon. So I really ain't being off, even though I'm being a little funny. Um, but uh, I think I'll speak to a point that has to be spoken to because um, I've heard you talk about we end up going to the um, Air Force Academy together um, to a degree, and you talked about kind of being overwhelmed with how other blacks act compared to your experience in a state that te- legally did not want any blacks for years before, um, in a sense, a lot of blacks were allowed to go there. So um, you talk about us as African-Americans or youth particularly feeling hey, there were some aspects that I'm missing. So it becomes more difficult to consider assimilation when you don't, in a sense, know yourself. I think that's a fair way to look at some of us as African-Americans. Your thoughts, King? Absolutely. So, you know, you've heard of sundown towns where a black person shouldn't be present in that town after sundown. Oregon was a sundown state, literally in its constitution. It said a black person was not authorized to be in the state. They could be uh, punished. Uh, up to and including death. So there's so there's a history that, you know, excluded black people in the state, but there was also opportunity, and my grandparents uh, decided that they would challenge the cultural inertia from that constitution, even though it changed. The cultural inertia was still there in Oregon. There are still sundown towns to this day in Oregon that I know very well because of my family's uh, travels through the state for vacations and camping. Point being that when you grow up in that environment, when that's your norm, you're not always exposed to the most, the broad spectrum of black thought. Now, my family was black. I had some militant and some, you know, people who were much more likely to integrate. Uh, and these, that family spectrum was not nearly as broad as what I experienced when I went to a place where it was from 2 to 3% black to 10, 7%, 8% black. Like, people don't understand how significant a gap that is until mm-hmm. you experience it. And I experienced this giant gap where there were other black people in the hallway, there were other black people in the class, there were other black people socially in places outside of, you know, um, uh, school, so it was it was crazy to to really start that and, and to really put bring the point home. My sec my first duty station after I graduated from the Air Force Academy was Fayetteville, North Carolina, where culture shock was alive and well. So I had <laughs> to transition from this really incredibly lily white environment to by the time I got to uh, my first duty station six years later after high school, I was inundated with blackness as a norm. And the assimilation that I had to experience was multifaceted. And I had a lot of skill integrating into the Air Force, uh, assimilating into the Air Force from civilian life. I had far less dexterity integrating into the Southern black culture of North Carolina, having been in Oregon and Colorado for my whole life. So these, so these And it it allowed me to see the spectrum of blackness in ways that I didn't know could exist in a very daily, very 
down-to-earth way. I saw everything from our foods and our music and the things that are obvious to the subtleties of blackness, the things that how we interact with inanimate objects and how we sort of move through our spaces in different ways. I saw all of those beautiful subtleties and those beautiful conspicuous behaviors. And to me, I got to choose how to assimilate as I learned more about that spectrum of blackness. It was the most beautiful, eye-opening, and quite frankly, paralyzing time of my young life because I had to learn what blackness meant to me in a very personal way and then choose the different behaviors that my family had taught some of but that I was exposed to in mass on a constant daily basis. And that, to me, was both eye-opening, but it was, man, it was overwhelming until I learned what it meant for me to know myself in that culture. Now, that's so dope what you just said. And, Frank, I want you to jump in here. I want to play another cut here um, as well. Um, But I don't even know if I expected what you just said to be a part of the show. And this is so dope as I take what you're saying in. Because what what you're highlighting is, your own assimilation into blackness. And, 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 and I know that your family had business established businesses back in Portland and, and you know, we, and, and it's very well established mm-hmm. there. So you had plenty of, in a sense, things to be proud of coming from that type of family as a black person. And, but like you said, going from one, one 2% to uh, Fayetteville or Vietnam, as, uh, as uh, J. Cole refers to it as, right, of just full blackness, you, in a sense, had to assimilate in, even into your quote-unquote own culture. I don't even know if I expected that. But, Frank, I wanted to jump to you because I wanted to hear your thoughts on hearing this brother coming out of Portland, Oregon. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. And you, I know you travel a lot, so you may have met someone like a Emil where you coming from Ghana obviously you're talking about your perspective coming to American culture, whites, and how black Americans are. But here it is, as a part of this large country, even blacks that are in places like a Portland, it's it's similar to you being an immigrant coming here, figuring out how to deal with these black people. Because I think you came to Atlanta first. So, um, so in that sense, you came where there was a large percentage of African-Americans, if you will. But just kind of jump on in what you're hearing um, Emil's experience and t- talk about your experience. And I do want to go to a cut before we get to our next break. Hey, man, thank you very much. And uh, thank you, guys. Um, great, great, great uh, percept- uh, perceptives on, the, on this issue. Um, I think uh, we are all driving towards the same direction. Again, um, I think one of the brothers mentioned, what exactly are you assimilating to? What is your goal? of, um, you know, being in America and why, uh, what are you trying to accomplish? Um, Again, it all depends on the individual beliefs and values. Personally, I've actually had some culture shock when I first came to America and had to assimilate and then went to to South Carolina uh, to a small town uh, near – the uh, Florence, Florence, South Carolina is another small town. I can't remember. Yeah, that's the name right. In that's, that right. Area. Yeah, that's right. That's right. 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 So I was really surprised to see 
how um, actually so the people over there saw me, looked at me, you know, something totally different, like a better version of an American. And I'm like, no, I'm African. I actually came out here to really, you know, better my life. So I'm going from a big city to a, a small town in America and coming from obviously a smaller town in Africa to America thinking that, oh, you know, I'm really coming to you know, to, to, to chase the American dream and, you know, take advantage of all the opportunities. When I went to South Carolina, um, and I'm thinking that obviously Amer- 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 the Americans that were looking at me like they got to learn something from me. And I'm looking at them like, wait a minute, no, I came here to really <laughs> be a part of this and, you know, see what I can do. So uh, it always has you know, a, a positive connotation in every aspect of this journey from an immigrant standpoint. Again, what are you assimilating to? I came to assimilate into uh, a better uh, opportunity uh, to, you know, better myself, better my family, to also be able to give back to my home country. And, again, uh, what America has offered me uh, to a point that I'm able to really be able to help my village and my, you know, my 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 people back home, it's amazing. So what am I assimilating into the American dream? And it's been a great journey for me. Uh, that is just my personal experience. Um, I respect everybody's opinion. Again, um, another person touched on the African-American experience where you don't have anything to compare to. You don't have anything to actually look back and actually say, why am I assimilating? There's nothing to really look back and compare. I have to assimilate with uh, my, uh, also making sure that I don't lose my cultural richness. So in a sense, from a cultural uh, uh, standpoint, it's just an add-on for me. I'm still African. After 30 years, even though I had to adapt, I had to assimilate, to be able to get a better job, to be able to start a business, to be able to even understand the American way of, um, you know, thinking and how they speak. When I first came to America, there was no way I would have been on this uh, show with you guys understanding what I'm saying and, and me understanding what you're saying. So I have to come and be able to fit into what I want and uh, whatever comes with it, it was always looking at it from a positive standpoint and not saying that, uh, not looking at it from a negative standpoint. So it's all been positive for me. I have I children you. here that, you know, are doing very well. And, again, if it wasn't mm-hmm. for America, I wouldn't be where I am today. So uh, no, that is second. my Let me jump drink. in. No, I love that. Yes. I want, yeah, I want to go to this cut because uh, this cut comes from Get on the Bus, and it's an experience that, as an African-American, I definitely want to hear both of your thoughts to this cut. Um, that's always been a fear. Um, I think you're speaking to, um, if you will, and that is your relative perspective, and I love it, you're speaking to what I, why I started the club. A lot of people would come and have your experience, and I want to have the dialogue and bridge the African-American experience with your experience, Frank. But here's what you're, again, this is a cut from a movie. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I'm pretty sure, Emil, you've seen it. Get on the bus. Um, that came out about the Million Man March that Spike Lee did. And this is a specific cut to the concept of assimilating for black people in America. What made you want to go to the march? 
What made me want to go to the market? Yeah, that's the question. Well, uh, I missed the march on Washington in 63. And, uh... You missed it? You didn't go? Well, I wanted to go. I intended to. But I just got this good-paying job out with a company that made brake components, and I didn't want to lose it. You know, go along to get along, play it safe, make no waves, Jeremiah. People at the office asked me about Malcolm X, Martin Luther King. Man, I said I didn't even know them cats. <laughs> and, you know, the truth of the matter is I, I, I didn't believe in troublemakers and rabble-rousers. No, sir. White man had me in his hip pocket 100%, and that was all right with me. Soon I was getting a raise every year, just like everybody else. And got my little office down in personnel. My own office, yeah. Then, bought this great big house out in the suburbs. Cars for me and my wife. College for the kids, the whole thing. Paid down on this expensive boat. And when I was at the company, I trained a lot of people, mostly white, some women. And every one of them got promoted over me. Now, not that should have told me something, but it didn't. Not me. I had it made. Oh, man. Everybody from the president on down and the whole company loved old, good old, faithful old, quick with the jokes and smiles, Jerry my Oh, man. They integrated me lock, stock, and barrel. And I loved it. 33 years with the company. I never missed a day. And then they had this big merger. And instead of giving me the watch that I had been waiting for, they gave old Jeremiah the pink slip. We regret to inform you that your services will no longer be required. But now, now, I didn't see how they could just throw a man away. I, I, I couldn't accept that. So I went to this new management and I put on a show that you wouldn't believe. I talked more trash, showed more teeth. Kiss more lily white ass. I, I, I begged that man for my job. And I got it. 30% reduction in pay. No benefits, but it was a job. Mm -hmm. yeah. It was mine two years ago. About a loose Japanese money coming in. Hostile takeover, some kind of stuff. Company started to get lean and mean for the new world order in the 21st century. Downsized my black ass right out the door, then locked it, threw away the key. No job, no future, no nothing. And of course, I had to get stupid. I uh, took to drinking. I lost my wife, cars, house, children, credit, my good name. He lost his good name. That is Ozzie Davis as the character Jeremiah in the classic Get on the Bus. If you haven't seen it, recommended that you see it. But, um, and Neil, I'll start with you. Uh, we actually are up against another break here in a little bit. So, Frank, I'll get your thoughts after the break. Um, but if you will, quick thought to hearing that, because at the end of the day, this conversation assimilation has always been the fear for any African-American is navigated specifically corporate America or just the workforce in general, um, hopefully not losing yourself in chasing the American dream and 
clearly Jeremiah highlights he lost himself to the point where he became homeless just to further um, give more details and backdrop to his story on that movie, if you will. Your thoughts, Emil? So there's a hip hop saying that uh, Snoop Dogg made famous, but it came, you know, in many songs and we don't love them hoes. And uh, one of the problems that black people in America haven't yet really articulated and solved as a group, as a nation of people who exist within this society. And I know sometimes we shouldn't uh, do that to ourselves and say we're all one people or we're all one thing. But I honestly think this is one of those questions we need to ask. And that is, what does it mean to be equal? Because what Ozzie Davis discovered, his character Jeremiah discovered, was being equal doesn't mean freedom. It means being treated like any other piece of crap worker that the management sees a cog in a machine. He became a cog in a machine. He felt like he was in the system. And when the system had no use for him, the system discarded him as equally as if he was anyone else. Perhaps last hired, first fired, we still face that stigma of being black in America. But when we aspire to assimilate to equality, what are we equal to? Because what I see is that they're treating white people in America with the, a similar disdain, not the same, but a similar disdain that they're disposable now. So if we get to the point of assimilating and we're equal to what they are and the wealthy, the corporations are simply saying, I can downsize any hog in this machine or offshore their job or treat their loyalty as a commodity to be exchanged for money, then we have a problem in black America because our aspiration is at best an illusion. And what I would hope is that we make a decision that assimilation at best is a step along the way to what I call freedom and self-determination, which is our ultimate goal. But we don't have those discussions across our nation. We do our mental dialogue. Um, bless you for that, brother. But this is where I think we really need to sit down and go, do I want to assimilate into a culture where I am a disposable cog in someone else's machine? Do I want to be in a culture that looks at me with the same disdain as it would its best otherwise worker, whether otherwise could be white or majority or educated but these are the questions that I think we need to ask and answer as a people because our aspirations were truncated, I think, by this desire for equality where equality simply meant becoming someone else's tool in their growth of a machine that does not include me in its Great process. question. Great question. Let me go to this break, and we'll delve more into that when we come back. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show where all I ask is that you think. For the callers out there, if you want to jump in, you do have to press one to get in on this morning's discussion. We'll be right back. Psychologist Dr. Gerald Hassel and Omar Buckner, founders of Self Mastery Retreats International, is proud to present a transformative experience specifically designed by black men for black men. This immersive retreat offers a unique opportunity for black men to forge deep bonds, enhance 
their personal growth and empower themselves to create positive change in their lives, families, and communities. For five days in the sacred surroundings of Puerto Morales, Mexico, a select group of powerful black men will embark on a journey of self-discovery, creating a safe and supportive space to share their experience and build a strong sense of community. This trip will truly transform your life and takes place February the 15th through 19th, 2024. If interested, text SELFMASTERY to 678-548-2456. Again, that is SELFMASTERY to 678-548-2456 to receive a direct link for the retreat. This whole meritorious manumission policy is in effect, moving along at the same time, this control system. About 1852, a lady named Harriet Beach Stover began wanting to write about it. So she then wrote about the whole thing. She interviewed a guy whose name uh, was Henderson, which you all know as Uncle Tom. He then told her about the story. She wrote a book called Uncle Tom's Cabin. But in that book, contrary to what most people think, Uncle Tom was not the bad guy. The bad guy was Sambo. And so I'm asking you all as my brothers and sisters, please in the future, don't call a black guy who you know is worthless and trifling. Don't call him an Uncle Tom. That's complimenting him. Call him his real name, what he's entitled to, and that's a Sambo. Any black person, <laughs> any black person sells his own people out and, and, and will do them in, he is a Sambo. Now, what is a Sambo again? Going back to Meritorious Manumission 1710, the whole conditioning process the whole brainwashing system, the whole social engineering system says that you must teach black people to see eyes, see the world through the eyes of white. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. This morning's discussion question, assimilation, is it all bad? Special guest, Emil Bryan, as well as Frank Asante. As we hear a cut from Dr. Claude Anderson breaking down, still barely mightily misunderstood quite often in 2023 the difference between uncle tom and sambo and quite often um a black person who in a sense sells out his people quite often we still might even say sambo there's other t- terms that I, I hate all the terms coon whatever thing you want to refer to i just am not a fan of us even referring to one another as these things um and quite often even the reference um in my opinion, never matters in the sense that if this person is not in my circle, I don't I don't care to label them if they're going to hurt or harm me, if you will. But again, that's just a personal take. Um, but ultimately, Dr. Claude ends pretty much where you left off, if you will, Emil, from the perspective of the concept of seeing through white eyes. You know, if you get more into the history, we know that um, as the country became the United States and in a sense taking from the Native Americans, if you will, uh, we know that for the Native Americans, they were not killed off. They were going to be integrated into American society. They put they particularly put together schools to, in a sense, take the Native Americans to lose their culture and teach them white culture. So there's always been this conscious effort that if we're honest, being American has ultimately quite often meant being white. And, you know, we even refer to make America great again, quite often in the black community, we would say, Oh, you want to make America white again. That's a fair comment 
considering the history of this country. So before I jump back to Frank, and again, I think you were kind of making a great point of being able to distinguish what it is that we are assimilating to, what is the aspiration. And I'll say this one last thing and jump right in, if you will, Emil. The other thing I love, and then you pointing out, because you were on the show we did some, uh, over a year ago about reorienting from whiteness. I think you were on that show or you called into that show, I believe. And, yep, um, yep. and I'm highlighting that because you're bringing up that distinct point. I always explain to people that the racial construct that we know it to be today was happening at the beginning of the race to America. Dr. Claude Anderson always speaks to the concept of what race means today was not always what it was prior to the trans enslavement trade, if you were the transatlantic enslavement trade. So when you understand the modern concept of race and that construct, the elites always understood there was no difference and we were pitted against each other. Speaking to your point, Emil, and I say against each other, I'm talking about African the Africans at the time were pitted against the poor whites at that time through the construct of race. So in reality, it was never a truth that there was a belief in this difference between the people who are creating the construct. It was, it was to make this, this thing that you distinctly just pointed out. We'll dispose you know, of our um, own. We'll, we'll, yeah, go ahead, brother. We'll, dis, we'll dispose of our own, and if we can create this difference, we have more control. So it's just like I wanted to highlight that because to your point, yeah, if you can assimilate to be treated just as, you, we really need to understand that so we can self-determine and that not be the goal, in my opinion. Go ahead, brother. Yeah, so, I mean, what you brought up covers everything from Bacon's Rebellion to what uh, Harry Belafonte uh, reported that MLK said about integrating into a burning house. There's this, there's this spectrum that when you look at the ma'afa and what's happened since of evolving perceptions of equality, right? So the ma'afa really sort of established that we were, we were treated as chattel property and we were being less than and then the indentured servants the you know who came over they were treated as less than and we had common cause which is you know the 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 uh, roots of bacon's rebellion that scared the land owning wealthy class to the point where they had to separate black and white from each other in that in, in that space even though they weren't chattel the indentured servant indentured servants were so mistreated, they were able to find common cause with the enslaved. They stopped that and turned whiteness into something different. And they continue to evolve it, not just from there, but through that point, even to today, where they continue to evolve the concept of whiteness. So every time we aspire to equality, we're aspiring to this moving target. You know, they always say, you know, you move the goalpost. Well, they've been moving the goalpost for 400 years. And that moving goalpost, once we ever get to it, if we ever were to be assimilated, only gets us to the point where we are like those indentured servants that started Bacon's Rebellion. We haven't really progressed to a point where we can say the thing that was taken from us when we were robbed from our home, when we were stolen and kidnapped from our homeland, what isn't equality? It's freedom. So the elusive nature of equality has often been 
conflated with freedom. If I'm like them, I'm free. Unfortunately, being like them is only as good as what it was back in Bacon's Rebellion, indentured servitude. We just use a different term for it now. Good job, good home. And Jeremiah, Ozzie Davis's character in um, Get on the Bus, said it very clearly. He had it all. He had everything laid out for 33 years. He had done everything to be equal. And yet when it was time for him to be cut, and trust and believe he was not the only one who was cut in that corporate downsizing, they cut him with no concern for his loyalty. He was a cog in a machine. So now we can talk about integrating into a burning house with a different lens. We can ask this question, is the house burning? And should we be assimilating or integrating into it? Because if the house is burning, the last thing we should want to do is walk in. For some of us, perhaps we need to let it burn. For others, perhaps we want to put it out and try to rebuild it in a better way. But what we should not do is assume that equality equates to freedom. Strong points. Brother Frank, um, and you listening to us, in a sense, navigate our, if you will, African-American experience with the history of this country. Um, And I know you've even highlighted, um, you know, in our personal talks, um, like even the concept of black was so new to you coming to America based on where you came from. So um, just any thoughts on us, you know, trying to even change and get a better understanding of what we should even project to specifically as African-Americans and you bring your unique experience, your thoughts to hearing us talk about this, brother. Oh, thank you very much. I'm really enjoying this conversation. Um, I think it's important to uh, understand um, this whole uh, topic from a historical uh, context uh, to be able to have a very fair-minded argument. uh, a brother mentioned assimilation and equality, and I think that assimilation and equality are sometimes interconnected. They are both like an interconnected concept, but can also be distinct. Assimilation, you know, as a process of integrating into the um, a dominant culture may sometimes impact the uh, equality depending on how it's approached. Uh, when you look at the historical context from an African-American experience, um, it's definitely different, and I can see where uh, some of our, you know, contributors are arguing that they don't think it's a good thing. The uh, example of the burning house. As an African coming to America, you know, that was in our experience. I believe that before we got here to try to better our lives, the, um, the, the fire had already been, you know, the fire had quenched before we got here because I always say that, and this is the reason why I'm always excited to engage my African-American family uh, to be able to understand, um, I mean, educate myself a little bit more about the uh, situation. As an African, I had never, ever heard of anything called black in my whole life before I came to America. There was no such thing as black. Uh, something is black, something is white. No. So 
those are some of the uh, cultures that I was dumped into. I, it was a lot of shocking through the uh, learning experience has really built me up to be who I am today and to be able to understand the African-American experience better. Um, most immigrants don't understand it. Most immigrants just see opportunity. Most immigrants, the first black one-star general, the first black one-star general, female one-star general in the U.S. Marine Corps, in the history of U.S. Marine Corps, is a Jamaican. So you see, a, a Jamaican that was not born in America, a Jamaican that migrated to America mm-hmm. to join the U.S. Marine Commission as an officer to rise to become the first female one-star general. So you see, when I highlight some of these examples, you, you probably can understand where we immigrants, you know, see this whole assimilation. It's always been a positive thing because we, our, our forefathers, you know, did not endure and even psychologically the systemic structures that continues to oppress the people psychologically is not so much affecting the immigrants because they right. just come out here to and what they can get out of it. No, you know, I so love I it, brother. No, I love it. Let me jump do in, brother. Do I know that racism exists? Do mm-hmm. I know that racism exists? Yes, I know. But has racism, has racism affected any aspect of my progress in America? I would say no. But I no, know that's it's very fair. I love, so it's I love a mindset. It's an experience. It's a yep. belief. And I think that uh, this type of dialogue will always educate both sides to be able to argue fairly. So no, let's continue this conversation. I'm really enjoying it. And we are making some great points. No, absolutely. I love the fact that you're able to, again, based on your travels and your, again, long conversations you and I have had, you're able to make a distinction, as you said, that a lot of immigrants cannot make. And that's a reality. I'm going to put some more of what you said in the context when we come back from break. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. Well, all I ask is that you think. I think I see the callers trying to jump back in as well, so we'll get some of them. Um, if you want to get in, 646-787-1691. We'll be right back. Well, all I ask is that you think. Hey, where did you get that hat and T-shirt? I like that. Oh, I got this at moneymotivation.com. It's fresh, right? Yes, and I love the message on it, too. You are the hustle, huh? That's what the shirt says. I am the hustle. They embody the entrepreneurial spirit, and what I like the most, it's more than a brand. It's a lifestyle for those who want to put in the work and expect to have the final things in life. I also follow them on Instagram. Check this post out. If you believe money is the root of all evil, you're using it wrong? Or how about this one? Excuses made zero dollars an hour. I like those. What's their IG? At moneymotivation.co. But do they have any ladies gear? Yes, you're going to love the clothing line they got for the ladies. Matter of fact, pull up their website, moneymotivation.com, and I'm going to get you a few things so we can both look like money. Everywhere I go, go. Everywhere I be, be. I don't even talk, talk. They still know it's me. Because I look like money. Smell like money. Talk like money. Even walk like money. Ryan Coogler. Turns out the woman who called the police on him was a black woman. 
Wow. He almost got arrested because they thought he was robbing a bank. And when you look into the details of what? it, he handed her his ID. He also handed her a note saying, I want to withdraw, I think, twelve or $14,000. But he wanted to be discreet because this is Atlanta. <laughs> People get robbed and everything. So he, he said, this is my PIN number. This is the account I want to take it out of. She didn't check his ID. She didn't check anything. She just saw a black man in a the, in the gray hoodie and With a mask because of COVID. She went to a manager and said, you know, I don't feel comfortable. And she was like, okay, call the police. The police showed up. They pulled their guns immediately. He lucky to get shot. I could have gone south. Now, if, if that happened, we would have been saying Black Lives Matter. But is that? Yeah, because it would have been, the sister would have been the reason for that. That's what I'm interested in. That is a more interesting conversation than white people are racist. Because it's not that simple. It's very easy to come to a similar conclusion that white people come to every day that black boys are just inherently criminal inherently disinterested, inherently uh, unintelligent, inherently animals. Welcome back to the Mixed Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. This morning's discussion question, assimilation, is it all bad? Special guest, Emil Bryan, as well as Frank Asante. I wanted to take the conversation in a different direction. Again, I love highlighting what Frank pointed out that very distinct difference between, um, and again, the immigrant experience coming to America and this brother having enough conversations and understanding to point out, in a sense, experience what sometimes we as African-Americans go through being here in the country. And he's also very appreciative of having himself learn the history to realize, as he said from his version, the burning house is already quenched. And so he could just build on the opportunity. And so he's saying that from an appreciative standpoint of coming to learn the history, knowing that specifically, as he said, hadn't heard the word, didn't even know what black meant until he came here, if you will, realizing he's able to build off of what our, as as an African-American, what our ancestors actually did in this country. So I brought the brother on because I knew he had that understanding, right? There's always these dialogues quite often where even immigrants from all over, whether it be Jamaica to his point, uh, come over where there's just sometimes this distinct fight where that lack of understanding goes amiss. So, again, I want to really highlight and appreciate that, brother, for highlighting that understanding. Now, going into that cut, uh, I brought it to the table, and it made it seem like it doesn't fit, and I'm pretty sure Neil will see the angle, and I'll go to him first. Um, But I brought that in because here's the context that often goes amiss. Um, To further Frank's point, um, I highlighted earlier that in general, immigrants traveling to other countries tend to do better than the natives in general. I'm generalizing with that. That's kind of any immigrants traveling anywhere to include us as African-Americans living abroad. We tend to do better than the local natives or whatever. Frank has already pointed out a big reason for that. Whatever the cultural issues, an immigrant typically isn't beseech with the local issues. In America, it's clearly race. In other countries, it may be religious. It may be class. And so as an immigrant, you don't have a history of not, you don't know you shouldn't go over there because someone that lives in this space locally, there's a history for why they might not go to an area. You as the immigrant, even as a black American, come and say, I'm going to put my business right there for whatever reasons you choose. You're making it strictly from a business decision 
because there's no history you as the immigrant that has that says you could be harmed in this area. I, I like to kind of bring that context to the table. And again, I feel like Frank kind of broke it down from his own experience. And I wanted to highlight that. If you don't mind, okay. can, I, can I touch yeah, on that real quick? Just a few yeah, seconds. please. Go ahead, brother. Right. I'm, I'm, re- I'm really glad that you mentioned that. First, I have a business buying cars, buying used cars. And I had a brother uh, who was working with me. So as I navigate through the south, we go to Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina, Alabama. I navigate through the south. There are certain areas that he would tell me, no, bro, I'm nervous. I can't go there. And I said, why can't you go there? No, bro, you don't know. And I'm, I said, well, I don't know. What I, don't I know? So I'm just looking at it from a strictly business standpoint. I said, I'm just going out there to do business and don't have any history of anything bad happening to me or my family. So in my mind, it's all business for me. And in this mind, it's something else. So, you know, our experiences, you know, the environments we grew up in, all of that factors into how our position on this uh, particular subject. Uh, Great. Love that example. But, Emil, I definitely want to jump you in to what I'm saying, because here's now, let me bring the cut into play, and then the mill you jump in. So Ryan Coogler is pointing, well, the, I'm sorry, the cut comes from We Need to Talk podcast, let me give them their props, talking about Ryan Coogler being arrested, trying to take out a significant amount of money here in Atlanta, and, you know, almost going real bad for him, and he, the brother on We, Night to Pod, on we Need to Talk podcast is saying, hey, that was a black woman that called. And then the, the other person on the cut saying, well, you know, that's the system that ends up bringing that. And the reality is the narratives that, in a sense, has us fighting for, quote, unquote, equality or the bad narratives that we have about ourselves play out to where even, a, if you will, the black woman didn't check his ID and had probably had she at least done that versus be suspicious, that probably would have went well. But she's beseeched with that same narrative that the system gives in America. And to Frank's point, he's navigating through all these southern states with no problem. And the brother that he was dealing with say, hey, I can't do it that way. And so it's like we have to be exposed that the narratives are, are one, false, if you don't, if you're not exposed to it, it affects what you consider even being able to assimilate into. In my opinion, your thoughts, King? Yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack. I'm going to try to do it relatively uh, systematically. So first, when it comes to the sister who called the police on Ryan Kugler, one of the problems that we have to confront in our nation as Black people in America is we have to be very clear that we are affected by, influenced by, taught by a system that hates black people. I know it doesn't seem like that to people who are from the outside looking in because there are so many opportunities, but that's the problem. It's outside looking in, and we're in, not outside. So when you're in this system, and we can go back to uh, even before the civil rights era where Uh, African immigrants were treated differently than uh, African Americans simply because they were not from America. They were not seen as the type of problem that African Americans were. 
doing the exact same thing, going to the same schools, taking the same classes, doing the same activities, yet the African-American, the person born here, was considered a threat where the African immigrant was not. That is not something that is uh, uncommon. It is not something that was anomalous. It is something that was very much a, a real issue even before the civil rights era and definitely during and after the civil rights era. So the fact that they have a different perception is wonderful, but it also, uh, it also smacks of the fact that, or, or, or it points to the fact that we have had a problem here with the people born here who have to struggle for recognition as human beings. The African immigrant was more likely to be seen as a human being, whereas the person born here was not. So we have to start with that in terms of understanding what's going on with that difference of opinion. And that bleeds over into how that business, Ryan Sigler, he was a problem. She saw him as a problem. Had he been dressed as someone who was maybe in a traditional outfit on the continent, she probably would not have perceived him as a problem. Because he was dressed like a black person in Atlanta, during the pandemic, she perceived a problem. She was assimilated into a culture that is primarily anti-black. And this is one of the problems that we have to confront. This system creates in us a hatred of ourselves so pervasive. Hey, we're getting, hey, we're getting a bad connection, brother. You're, kill, you're killing it right now. But it's starting to go in and out. So if you will, call right back in. I really hate to do that, but I don't want people to miss what you're saying. It's okay. Is this better? Yeah, it's better. Whatever you're doing now. Yeah, keep keep doing whatever you're doing Okay, perfect. So the system was in, she was taught into and indoctrinated into a system that is primarily anti-black. And now if we say anti-black, we can discriminate between anti-black born in America and anti-black African immigrants. But if we look at the statistics, after the third generation, immigrants from almost any country do about the same as native-born Americans. So they become black over time, too. It takes about three generations, but African immigrants, Jamaican immigrants, all become black, black people who have been, whose families have been in America for 200 years. So this concept of anti-black indoctrination is pervasive. It's in the culture. It's built into the culture. And one of the problems we face is trying to undo the indoctrination that this creates. For instance, that sister in Atlanta who saw Ryan Coogler simply had she followed whatever procedure. She went to her manager, and the manager said, call the police. Did anyone have a procedure that says, when in doubt, check ID? Why not? (laughs) And if they did do that, if they did not have that ID check, and they didn't do it, why not? And if they didn't have that check, why not? Because there's a simple way to solve so many problems in our culture. I don't believe that we're not in a burning house when you have kindergarten teachers who have served and studied, and they put their attention primarily on black students when they're acting exactly the same every other student in the room. For the purpose of being you're going, to, still you're going in and out trouble. again. So whatever, yeah, whatever you're doing, get back to what you were doing before. You're going in and out again. So we have kindergarten teachers, kindergarten mm-hmm. teachers, who put their eyes on their black students more 
than on their other students simply to see if they're going to cause trouble, even when their behavior is the same. The indoctrination starts at birth for us. That's a real thing. We don't have the luxury of saying, well, I didn't see that because we don't not see that. It's always there for us. So when someone can come from another nation and say, I don't see that, that's because they haven't been swimming in the indoctrination their entire life. But we know that after three generations, they're going to be swimming in it too. And they're going to be perceived the exact same way. So it's not just black or not. It's very much something that we have to confront as a part of the culture into which we say we want to assimilate. No, I love it. Hey, Frank, let me I do this. You, let me, Frank, I want to hear your thought, but I do got to go to this break. So yes. you're gonna come. You're gonna come right after the break. We'll be right back. Sure, 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 sure. The sure. Mental Dialogue Talk Show. Where all I ask is that you think. What happens when your customers call your business and you're too busy to answer or call them back in a timely manner? You lose that business. Shockingly, 61% of inbound calls go unanswered. But fear not, TCHmedia.ai is here to change the game. We specialize in capturing, nurturing, and converting your prospects into loyal customers. With our state-of-the-art communication solutions, no interaction will be left behind. When you miss a call, we've got you covered with automatic, engaging texts that keep your prospects connected and eager to choose you over your competitors. Don't let potential customers slip away. Make the smart choice with tchmedia.ai and skyrocket your conversions today. The reason that I wear weave is because it just looks good. Like if I want to just change it up and look pretty, even though even though I'm pretty like this, if I want to just look even better, I'm going to put on some bundles. They're going to be nice, soft, and slick. It's just going to feel like a new person. Like I just genuinely want to wear it because I want to feel good. I'm sorry. I can't. I can't. I think it just broke my heart that you said when I want to add on to my beauty. Right. And it's just stuff like that that I don't think we realize that we say because it's like, why is why is that adding on to your beauty? You know what I mean? I just feel like it looked good. I don't know. Not that I don't look good like this because I'm, I feel like I'm very beautiful like this. But if I want to do it up, I'm going to put on some bundles and put on some makeup. If my daughter told me that I need to add this to be pretty. I'm not saying you got to add it to be pretty because I'm already pretty, but it just enhanced. Even that, even that. To me, what it's saying is that in order for me to be my super saiyan self, my optimal self, I have to use something outside of me. So I would, I would understand from a, you know, once in a while thing or from a protection thing, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? But from a, I feel prettier thing, it, it hurts a little bit. I don't know what to say. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. This morning's discussion question, assimilation, is it all bad? Special guests in Mill Bryan and Frank Asante. Another cut from We Need to Talk podcast. Go follow them as this sister breaks down her perspective on why she adds weave. And I think it's a, a real example of swimming in the indoctrination that Emil was talking about prior to the break. I've got a caller that wants to jump in, but Frank, I wanted to get your thought 
that you were trying to get before the break, before I go to the caller. Go ahead, King. Thank you very much. Uh, I think uh, the last comment from the brother was, you know, really uh, in line with uh, some of my advocacy in the um, my journey to bridge the gap between Africans and African-Americans. I'm saying that to say that, yes, I agree with the indoctrination where when we come out here, we are actually fed with certain information regarding the uh, the, the black struggle in America. Mm-hmm. So in most cases, Africans or other immigrants in general really do not associate with the struggle. When you see people going out to march, to protest, you don't see immigrants. But one of the things that I, saw, I, I spoke, I talked about in my community about 20 years ago that we have to be very careful how we uh, look at this situation because at the end of the day, very soon, we are also going to be perceived the same way. And they didn't really pay attention to what I was saying. Now, when you go to Florida, the highest population of black prisoners, right? Mm-hmm. Black prisoners in Florida is not African American. It is Haitians. Haitians. Mm-hmm. Okay? Haitians, yes. So now, when the Haitians started migrating from 40, 50, 60 years ago, they just came out here to make money, to, you know, pursue the American dream, and was forgetting that there was actually a problem because it was all about the money. Up until they had children, right, a second generation and a third generation facing the same problem that they ignored, and now they are dealing with it. So I told people, I tell people, my kids now are African-American. So whatever the African-Americans are going through, even though I was born in Africa, my kids are African-American, and they're going to be facing the same challenges. You know, so one thing about the, the, the indoctrination, I agree with you, and another thing about my personal experiences, I'm a first-generation African. So, yeah, my perspectives it will be a little bit different, but I definitely agree with what the brother said about swimming in this um, indoctrination and ignorance, and it's about time that especially immigrant communities start to educate themselves because, uh, trust me, it's a matter of time that this fire will be burning right at our doorstep. If we don't pay attention and think it's all about progress and opportunity, the next generation will be facing the same problem that our brothers and sisters have been dealing with for about 400 years. Appreciate you, Frank, for the perspective. Let's go to the next caller, 202. Next, last three, 606. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion. Hey, good morning. Daniel calling from Maryland. Yeah, All right, Daniel. Yeah, yeah, Daniel, you're from Maryland. Yeah, it's a little tough to hear you, but we hear most of what you're saying. Go ahead, King. All right, yeah. The big thing I was calling about was, like, it kind of scared me a little bit, the context of this conversation, in the sense that I feel like we have given up on our ability to have some kind of ownership within the, the culture. So it's when we talk about assimilating to the culture, we kind of say, well, the culture belongs to somebody else. When we've known over the years that we have a huge influence on, mm-hmm. on the culture. So when right. we give up, you know, our ownership of that culture, put that into somebody else's hands. And what I mean by that is, like, sometimes, for example, like, let's say Washington, D.C., where there was a, a black culture there, right? And then 
the black culture gave up that uh, I won't say gave up, but it, you can almost say you know let another culture come in. So now that that culture is in, we didn't say hey we have some influence on this. We're gonna make it the way that you know works for both of us. Kind of now we're trying to say yo that now it belongs to somebody else. And I think you know we're doing ourselves a disservice when we uh, when we don't take take advantage or take ownership of our own what belongs to us. Hey, Dan, I'm so glad you called in and said this, brother. Um, it, it is something I, I, I'm going to say personally, I agree 100%. I'm very interested in, you know, hearing what Emil has to say, what you said as well. But I'm going to say off top, I agree 100%. Um, I have a book called Reeducation of the Negro, and there's this one piece where I'm highlighting just to give a little a little historical context. I think a matter of fact, uh, Mill, you always on our, um, our, big, our dopest shows, man. You was actually a guest for this show when we were doing the book, the um, show on reeducation of the Negro, and I highlighted this particular piece where mm-hmm. um, where uh, Abraham Lincoln had brought quote unquote a bunch of Negro leaders to the White House lawn prior to the Civil War uh, because Lincoln was exploring the real possibility of sending. Uh, blacks back to Africa, and he wanted to run that against the, the um, if you will, run it against the the, top, the Negro leaders of the at the time, and they rejected the request, um, saying, "Hey, we we we've been here for 200 years at this point. We know nothing of Africa. This is our land." Um, and being the mill and brother Ed Hopkins, you know, the smartest brother we both know, uh, we had a great dialogue about that piece. So, Daniel, I'm just highlighting, um, that's in, the, in in my book, not to highlight my book, but just to highlight that those ancestors, possibly people hearing or reading about that for the first time today, might be surprised that that was their perspective. And to your point, it, it not only was built on our back, but intentionally, um, knowledge-wise, We've played a huge role in the building of this country. And so to your point, without taking some form of ownership, the risk is, in my opinion, and I agree with you, very high of going amiss of whatever you even want to achieve. And to Emil's point, Emil, give me your thoughts of self-determination will be able to, in a sense, have you navigate the waters as every other group does in this quote-unquote melting pot. Your thoughts, Emil, but I love what Daniel brought to the table this morning. Yeah, so, you know, my family's from here, born here, raised here. We own this nation with our blood, sweat, and tears as surely as any, any do. So when I talk about assimilation, I'm very clear there is a culture into which, if I assimilate, I am actually propagating the potential for more anti-black racism. I am propagating the potential for more anti-black violence. And that I will not assimilate into. To the brother's point, we have to learn and control what we can and own it and be very clear about that. We don't own financial institutions. We don't own the kind of um, think tanks and policy-making apparatus and uh, legislatures and city councils that would allow us to protect ourselves from the onslaught of gentrification the way we wish we could if we did have more control. So I'm not going to surrender in that context, but I'm not going to assimilate into a culture that wants to be violent against me simply for my presence. So there's, there's some discernment. What do I own? What do I control? 
well, I control pop culture. I control the black people in America have been the vanguard of so many activities. And to the brother Frank's point about being part of the ongoing effort to create a more equal and just society, there has, I own that because it's my seawall that stops the ocean from eroding the shore. It is my seawall. Black people in America create the seawall that keeps America be as close to just as it possibly can be. And it's not anywhere close to just. It is not anywhere close to equal. But we keep pushing, building up that shore, uh, that seawall to keep that ocean of anti-black racism from eroding the gains we've made. And what I will say last and, and probably most importantly is what that control looks like in a practical sense every day is us acknowledging that our contribution will not be denied. Our presence will not be eliminated simply because we're inconvenient obstacles to someone else's development plan. We have to establish that our presence is enough. And if we all make the point that our presence is enough, we will have a way to control our presence and, more importantly, our effort towards creating a more equal and just society that allows us to be a determinant of its future. But we can't do that if we simply surrender to the assimilation into a culture that hates us or worse, become a part of it and actively work against our own self-interest, a la what Frank was talking about with several of the immigrants who either ignore or actively participate in some of the problems that are going to, at some point, come back to haunt them. We want to be free and equal in that context. And let me say this. I would offer, as I love what you're saying, I would say there's a similar risk going to the the opposite extreme of what you said to the point of defecting, if you will, consciously to the degree that you say you're not part and in being and not part, not effectively ensuring your place in the system is respected. And so I would offer that what you said, the exact opposite, also creates possibly the same risk. Um, Daniel, once again, thank you for an amazing call. We are up against another break. I uh, wanted to give you a chance to respond, but got to go to this break and let some other callers get in here. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. We've got a little background noise in the back, wherever it is. Try to mute yourself. Thank you very much. We'll be right back. All I ask is that you think. LNG Technology Services, we are your industry leader in aircraft and heavy equipment repair services. In commercial business for over 15 years, LNG technicians have over 150 years of equipment-specific knowledge and are known industry-wide for returning worn-out, broken, and overused ground support equipment back to the user in working better than new conditions. For a service job done right at a value unparalleled in the industry, contact LNG Technology Services at 478-781-4860. Again, for a service job done right, that number is 478-781-4860. LNG Technologies is a Mental Dialogue Gold member and proud sponsor of the Mental Dialogue community. The number one branders in the universe is the United States. 
they made the United States seem like it's the best place in the world to be. It's the land of the free, home of the brave. I go there to find and chase my dreams. We have to be able to tell our own stories. Directors, filmmakers, entertainers, it's going to be clearly, and the press, it's going to be your job to redefine how people think about Africa. Because I can tell you right now, in Chicago alone, there's more people dying in Chicago than there was in the war in Iraq. But you would never see that. There's a lot of things that's happening in the U.S. that you would never see because they choose to show you what they want you to see for... No one puts their family business out into the street. The, one of the problems we have in Africa is that when something happens, the press is quick to put out negative energy and quick to put out a negative story. And then that story goes on to Internet and other broadcasting systems take it, and they post it. So when you look at places like Kenya, for instance, that I know of maybe, what, two terrorist attacks? But it was everywhere. So now people was afraid to go to Kenya because somebody shot up the mall. But then when you look online, there was over 25,000 attacks in the U.S., but you only knew about maybe five or six. You get to the point where you think Africa's just a big jungle. The images that they're showing of Africa is historical images. This is way before civilization. This is when they were still, you know, battling with spears, like times of Shaka Zulu. No, I'm serious. But then when you look at the U.S., they're showing Superman, Batman. You know? Where is our Superman? Where is our, like, Shaka Zulu should be a superhero today. Really. So we have to tell our own stories. I mean, even Jesus is white. And you believe it. But it's okay because how you were framed, if you taught something from the day you were born and your mother taught you that, your father taught you that, it's real. You never look at your mom and your dad as liars. But their mother and father taught them the same thing because that's the kind of history that's put out for them to believe. Our history books in the U.S. is all white American history, culture that's been borrowed from other nations. But Africa has to teach the same history of our ancestors the great things that they have accomplished. Welcome back to the Mr. Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. This morning's discussion question, assimilation, is it all bad? Special guest, Frank Asante, as well as Emil Bryant, as we hear Akon, give his perspective on America being the number one brand throughout the world. I don't think anybody would disagree with this on this call. I think it has to be, in my opinion, brought into context to better understand this morning's discussion, if you will. I think we've all consistently kind of been reminded that this is a spectrum conversation versus simply, is it bad, yes or no? I think everybody, at least at this point, has kind of been settling that there's a spectrum and there are aspects. And if I can bring the one cut that I had in the last break, this, the young sister talking about, in a sense, why she, if you will, wears weave um, to make herself prettier. And, and, and they're questioning her back and forth. And even at the end, she's kind of like, oh, I don't know what to say. And so um, bringing all of that in full context, 
it is absolutely rooted. Even the issues we have, as if you will, in, as African Americans with our self identity, I brought the Akon cut in to even remind us how we see ourselves in America. But it is absolutely rooted in the original miseducation about the motherland that also plays a big effect on our psyche as African-Americans. I needed to bring that context. Emil, please take over because I can know you can handle this even better than I can. Emil, did you get Yeah, brother, you're, we're struggling in so many different dimensions because we have multiple definitions operating at the same time and no one definition has ever truly become the definition. And, you know, sometimes on your show, I will always remind us that we're not in a vacuum. We're in a society that has actively arrayed its uh, institutions to harm black people in America. Those institutions, we can go through them by category, by sector, by vertical, and see how those institutions have been created to harm or have been instructed to harm black people in America, whether it's financial or economic or business. We do not have the same um, set of obstacles other people in America have. And we need to be very clear about that because one of the problems is we're trying to fight a war on multiple fronts with multiple definitions of success, and we don't always have a clear path ahead. And I'm not asking for all of us to ascribe to one definition of everything, but I do want us to agree that we're under attack. I do want us to agree that it's systematic, that it's institutional, and that it's common. It's not uncommon because we're seeing that a, a application with the name Jamal versus an application with the name Roger gets treated differently when they're the exact same with uh, content. That let me, is let a me jump systematic in. You know, let me jump in right here. Let me jump in right here. I want to challenge something you're saying. I want to challenge something sure. for just for us sure. to have the dialogue, and we've had this battle before. And so I would offer that as the world becomes more global, the construct of race, which we've already highlighted earlier in the show, made up for financial purposes by the elite, which makes it not a reality. And it's not as simple as dismissing the fact that it's not a reality. Um, to your point, they systematically put it into play uh, for, the, for, if you will, their benefit. And there is specifically the elite. I do want to make that distinction. Uh, yes. Even yes. though even though we've come to accept the constructs of the word black and white as if it was it's one group against another. It's a huge mistake when you really understand the origins of the construct. Everybody bear with me. I'm walking through the challenge I want to make to Emil here. And so so just trying to put everything as 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 granular as possible to get to this point. And so the unfortunate brilliance of the forefathers who say, hey, here's how we keep these groups separated so we can keep our land and all these things that we write in law are only for us. And the brilliance is the narratives have lived and become systematic, and we know at points intentionally systematic, and we can highlight that very history. What I would offer to you, Emil, and you know, you've heard me make this challenge to you before, is the narratives and the propaganda is such that it becomes unconscious to the degree that 
those teachers, black and white, look to the black child, as you pointed out earlier, look doing the exact same thing in a biased way. The Jamal, it, it, it becomes so unconscious that in the global world, where race has become less of a factor to the progress of this very own country, that I would say the systemic narratives have lived on and played out in an unconscious manner that I wouldn't even call it a direct attack. Now, I'm not saying that you called it one. I'm just kind of walking through some nuance here that it's not even necessarily a direct attack because our country specifically has become global and there's a less focus on us as a race, but inherently those systemic narratives keep repeating themselves in a way that harms us. Do you hear the nuanced distinction that I'm attempting to make? And I, if you do hear it, I'm curious as to your thoughts to it. I absolutely hear it. And I respect that um, you're making that nuanced distinction because it is very important. Um, years ago when uh, discrimination was legal in America, which is not even one lifetime ago, within my parents' lifetime who are still alive, Legal discrimination, we also called it de jure discrimination. And then there was another type of discrimination called de facto discrimination. Mm -hmm. Well, in 1968, with the last federal civil rights legislation, de jure, uh, de jure discrimination stopped. Correct. Not, notwithstanding several states that had um, some old, untouched laws on their books. Primarily right. in 1968, de jure discrimination ended, but there's cultural inertia that de facto discrimination did not end in 1968, and that's what we're dealing with. That's what you're talking about, is that cultural inertia. My problem is, without a systematic intervention on that cultural inertia, it will not stop. And, I and agree if we're not going to that. have ahead, that brother. conversation yeah. about, about a systematic intervention, i.e. saying to every system, every institution, are you aware of the cultural bias inherent in your institution? And what are the steps you must take to deal with that cultural inertia, that cultural bias, that de facto discrimination? If we do not have that conversation, it will not end. I'm of the mind that a global world especially a global America, is better off with more institutions that recognize the need for interconnectedness. My problem is that the ultimate goal of that interconnectedness is still benefiting the elite. Until we can reframe the benefit of that interconnectedness as benefiting the masses more than the elite, or at least making that benefit more equal than it is today, then the global issue still doesn't change the fact that one group is being oppressed in order for another group to wildly, not mildly, not moderately, wildly prosper. And it's that wild prosper, that 10x prosperity, that, that upside down pyramid of prosperity that I think global, the global way of thinking could address if we look at it from a different lens. But until we do, the fact that we're more global doesn't solve the problem because the benefit of that 
interconnectedness is still matriculating up to the elite. I think it's very fair what you're pointing out. Um, and again, I think, and I hope that I feel like we're moving, we're definitely being extremely nuanced, which I think we both agree is super necessary to even figure this out. And most conversations, in my opinion, not to highlight what we're doing here on mental dialogue, but that's what's missing. And so I always say a bad assessment from the start gives you no opportunities for solutions. And I feel like a lot of our conversations have bad assessments of where we are because they're, in my opinion, quite often stuck in the previous conversations of thinking we're still in that place and we're not considering the globalization of the world and how race and race, how race is becoming less of a factor. But I absolutely respect the need to do what you just said. I'm definitely interested in what Frank has to say about what he's hearing now. Um, but we are up against our last break. So if y'all will, back through this last break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask. Are you intimidated by money? Well, this is a question most people never think to ask themselves. But when forced to think about it, many people realize they have unrecognized fears that truly affect how they deal with money. If you want to learn more about money and the fears that keep you from prosperity, join us for Making Money Matter Mondays, where money meets mental health, personal finance coach, Ashley Thomas, and psychotherapist, Dr. Katrina Pitt. Every second Monday of the month, find out if you're intimidated by money and what to do about it. To receive a link to this free Zoom event, please DM the Making Money Matter or the Mental Dialogue Instagram pages or contact 404-604-9477. You've always said that uh, China has done more for Africa than any other country. I mean, it's true. That's not that's not something anybody can argue with. Yeah. I mean, you know, they came, they laid down infrastructure. They actually did something that the European countries been around for 400 years and did nothing. That's mm-hmm. why if you see Africa now hasn't been developed. This was the responsibility of France, Great Britain, Italy, Italy Germany. These guys have been in Africa forever. And it's never been developed. China just started putting interest in Africa. Now you have roads, roundabouts. Like, they're actually putting structure now. No, I feel you, because I spent time in, uh, in Senegal, in Dakar. Right. And which used to be a French colony, you still right. see people with the French bread and the oh, French hats and the whatever. French. But it's dirt roads. Right. You know? You know, there's no major corporations there, or at least when I was there, around 2000. I'm sure it's right. changed. I mean, yes, yeah, it's changed a lot now. Yeah. But it's still, it's still got a grip on the country as if the mm-hmm. colonization never left. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. This morning's discussion question, assimilation, is it all bad? I wanted to highlight our Making Money Matter Mondays. Um, on Monday, we'll be discussing the housing market with a loan originator, uh, Katina Gray. Um, that is... Making Money Matters by our uh, financial coach, Ashley Thomas, as well as our psychotherapist, Dr. Trina Pittman. Making Money Matters is where money and mental health meets. If you're interested, please follow us on IG at mental underscore dialogue and DM me to receive the Zoom link to that free Zoom every second Monday of the month. And one other note before we get back to the discussion, if you're in Atlanta, 3 p.m. today, 
Uh, we'll be at Privy at Stonecrest for the Mental Dialogue Book Exchange Coffee and Wine Club. Bring your favorite book. It's like speed dating, but with books. Highlight, I brought this book for this reason, and you'll get to do three exchanges and get introduced to three new books in a real cool and fun way at 3 p.m. out. Um, go to mentaldialogue.com, and the details will pop up if you want to join us. Just bring a donation and enjoy great coffee by Dope and Wine from Shipper Share Wines as we do a wine tasting in addition to the book exchange. I want to highlight those. Um, but back to this morning's discussion, assimilation isn't all bad. Um, if you will, Frank, very curious at just your thoughts and as, you know, in the sense as me and Emil went pretty granular with this discussion about what I, in my opinion, where these discussions have to go. And I agree with him in some sense. Um, and, um, and I would highlight that getting a better personal narrative about who we are as, as black Americans, as it relates to the motherland would play a huge role in effectively being able to navigate as the meal beautifully laid out the de facto discrimination that in a sense that exists in the system more so than in the personal heart of those in quote unquote power, if you will. Your thoughts to what you're hearing, Brother Frank. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, It's been a great conversation. I've learned a lot. I always enjoy, you know, engaging to to learn for the most part. Um, it's been an eye-opening experience for me from some of the things that I'm I'm hearing. Um, again, uh, back to the subject, whether assimilation is a good thing or a bad thing, it is subjective, you know, to um, every uh, person. Number one, what are you assimilating to? And, um, and number two, why are you assimilating? So... Um, perspectives often, often would depend on the individual beliefs and values again. Um, mm-hmm. but I, again, think that, uh, it's been, um, a great and positive, uh, thing for me here in my American journey for 30 years. This is my 30th year. Um, definitely considering all the challenges that we're facing as a race. Um, not forgetting that is why I have been, uh, you know, uh, a very big advocate for um, bridging some of these gaps because there's a lot of uh, misinformation on uh, both sides of the spectrum when it comes mm-hmm. to uh, blacks in America and other immigrants, uh, which stems from mi- uh, misinformation, indoctrination, and, uh, again, our experiences. Uh, up until uh, some immigrants will have to take the time to really educate themselves about this, the real situation, uh, we tend to have this opinion based on indoctrination or just misinformation. So um, I will end by saying that uh, it's been a positive thing for me, and I believe it is so with most immigrants. Uh, and uh, I'm hoping that we can all join together in the struggle because, again, uh, the second or the third generation of immigrants are going to be Americans, you know, like full-blown Americans that will face in the same systemic challenges that our brothers and sisters have been dealing with for for centuries. Um, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. I hope. To no, thank you, brother. Let me matter of fact, um, let me jump in. Let me jump in because we got just a few more minutes if you have time to stick with us because I wanted to at least sure, bring sure. this up in reference to the cut that you just heard. Um, the, I particularly jumped in on Akon talking about, if you will, the Chinese in Africa for this reason, and it's just 
it's a big part of um for me personally in having this conversation when it comes to assimilation because there's also can be strategy to assimilation again i don't think we should ever be on either extreme fully one thing or another uh, i highlight that as the world becomes becomes global, and you've highlighted this a little bit earlier, Frank, um, the opportunity to engage in other culture and learn from one another, that's something that humans have always done, did. And as the world became more popular, to go way, way back to, to human migration, if you will, but as the world became more populated at points of interactions, points of trade, whether that be on the river whatever the case may be, um, points of trade is where the most innovation has taken place. And so I am saying this for us as African-Americans, as we, in a sense, have to, in a sense, fight against the indoctrination that Emil has continued to highlight on this show. That is something that we have to do understand that progress has always been the most progress by humans has come from interaction. Hold on, I got a little background noise real quick. Let me see if I can mute that. And so um, has come from interaction. And so there are aspects of as long as you're not on the wrong path as Emil has highlighted. You're not on the wrong path of um, simply assimilating to be equal, if you will, then there will have to be strategic alliances like what you're hearing Akon talk about with the Chinese, if you will. That's something that outside looking in because of our, in my opinion, black American experience, we'll just assume that's a bad interaction based on our black African American experience of how we see things. Whereas the reality is our people are intelligent enough to make alliances that there's a value for value exchange. And that's what Akon is highlighting in that example. And historically, for example, just to give out something way off the wall to give more context, but the Japanese after World War II, after having two cities devastated by the, the two atomic bombs that we dropped and the rest of the world kind of coming over and said, you can't even have a military. And they have a little small military at this point. But the Japanese leadership being a 5,000 year old country thinking long-term says, okay, we can't have a military. So they decided, okay, in order to build our country up, we need industry. So they sent their people out to Germany and to America to say, all right, let's see if we can build on to this new car phenomenon industry that's happening or whatever. And so they would send their people to America and send them to Germany, and they would tell their people they're sending out, assimilate fully into the culture. Part of the strategy was to assimilate so that if, if they, their concept was if the Germans and if the Americans believe you are their friends, then they will teach you more of their skills and we need you to return those skills to home. And so they would send them out and they would come back to Japan and in the fifties and sixties in America, everybody used to laugh about Japanese cars because they were so cheap, cheaply made and less than, and 
30, 40 years later, that strategic idea of assimilating for them, effectively they learned enough and became better at making cars and the made America (laughs) was born due to, if you will, foreign products starting to be better or perceived to be better in reality, in a lot of cases, actually better than our own homemade products. It was a very strategic approach that took 40 or 50 years. And not only are we talking about the best cars, but they took that same concept within technology. And we're just now getting, if you will, um, what is it? What is it? What they call it? Um, the the high-speed internet that we're, that we're what is it? What is that called, Emil? The high-speed internet that we're playing around with now, the Generation 5 or something like that, um, they've already had for a decade. So since they could not put their fortunes back into becoming a strong army that attacked us, the U.S., if you will, back in World War II, they put their economy based on technology and industries and became number one in the world by sending their people out to assimilate and integrate to bring the information back. So it's a strategy for some, and we would often as African Americans, based on our experience, always assume that every alliance is against us based on the psychology. That is not true. We are brilliant and capable of doing the same things. Your thoughts, Emil? I'm sorry, brother. Let me bring you back live. I think we had a little background noise. All right, brother. We got a couple of minutes. So I just want to let you close us out. Thanks. Yeah, thank you, brother. I appreciate it. You're absolutely right. We have to be strategic. And what I'll say is that any deal that we make, whether it's we, black people in America, or across the diaspora or on the continent, we have to always see ourselves as the prime beneficiary of that deal. And that has a lot of context and a lot of difficulty associated with it. But we have to always see ourselves as the prime beneficiary. And if we are taking a secondary benefit from the deal, it is a strategic decision to advance our overall agenda. One of the problems that I often perceive is that when we do make these beautiful and strategic deals, somehow we end up as the second beneficiary unintentional. That has to stop. We must always craft deals that make us the primary beneficiary. It's not just having roads and infrastructure in Africa. We have to make sure that the largesse of those raw materials comes back to the continent in the form that can allow us to advance the agendas that we set for ourselves. And we also have to hold ourselves accountable to those agendas that if they're not being met by the leaders we uh, select, that those leaders got to go. Hopefully nonviolently, but however, by whatever means necessary, we cannot allow people to dictate the terms of the benefits of everyone's resources. And with that, I'll, I'll close with this. Joyful conversation today, it allows us to think through some really difficult things, and perhaps some of the world's greatest thinkers have joined us today and will be influenced in how they make policy based on our conversation. And I never sleep on the fact that what we put out is going to come back to us in terms of laws, policies, and procedures that affect how we navigate our future. 
So I thank those who are listening for the opportunity to help you make those influences that will change the future for our people. And with that said, we'll see y'all next Saturday. All I ask is that you think. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When you download the Kroger app, you have easy access to savings every day. Get the most out of weekly sales and receive personalized coupons to save on your favorite items, all while earning one fuel point for every dollar spent. Kroger makes it easy to save while you shop, whether it's in-store or online, so you get the most value out of every trip, every time. Download the Kroger app now to save big on your next purchase. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Must have a digital account to redeem offers. Restrictions may apply. See site for details.